Thank you, Fiona and Becca. What a wonderful, marvelous love that God has given and shown to us. We could be His children. What a blessing, a love. Well, as we are in our series, we're going to continue in the joy of knowing. So would you turn to 1 John? 1 John, we have seen over the time lots of reasons to have joy in knowing our great God. The joy of knowing that He loves us, that He cares for us, that He has provided a way of salvation, and He has provided daily opportunities for us to live for Him, to love Him, and to love one another. That we are perfecting righteousness, we are practicing righteousness as we live. And so in our, uh, in our passage today, we're going to begin with the verse 7, and uh, as we read through the passage we're going to see that uh, what God has for us, then we'll bow for prayer. Uh, and yes, I am having issues with this. So you will be understanding, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. You get the announcements. Okay. Yes, there are. There you go. Okay. Reading in verse 7. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we, have ab- that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Let's bow for prayer and ask His help to understand today. Gracious God, You have brought us here today. And You have provided for us Your Word, which speaks powerfully and forcefully in our lives by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that this morning that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and lives in understanding, yes, but also in directing our will, giving us strength to obey so that you might be glorified in us. Father, we need your understanding. We need your great work in our hearts, to do your will. We ask you for that today. For it's in Christ and I pray. Amen. We've sung a bit today on love. What does it mean to love? To really love one another? Not in a romantic way, um, and not in a I love you man kind of way that uh, sometimes we slap people on the back and just keep on going. But what does it mean to love one another? A love that sacrifices oneself for another. In our modern day, love is spoken of as a, a thing on many different mediums. Every, every time we turn, we read 
or we watch or we hear of love. Songs are sung of love. Too many songs of love on the radio. Oh. Um, I guess it's better than songs of hate. Um, there are a few of those. But uh, it seems that in the songs and the picture of love that we have, that love is wielded like a carrot or a stick. I love you if you do something for me. Um, if you agree with me, if you treat me well, then I'll love you. Love being cheap. Um, but what is true love? For the follower of Christ, we have a love given to us through Scripture that it really kind of bucks our own fleshly nature of love. And we think we're pretty good at love. You know, hey, we're, we, we know Christ, and so we're good at love, right? After all, I mean, that's just what we're supposed to be. Jesus said, love one another, so that means we, we are good at it, right? And then we find ourselves falling and failing. And so in a world of broken relationships... Uh, Due to errant theology, John writes, as well as he writes to us, of a love that is born out of theology, correct theology, not incorrect theology. A love that overcomes broken relationships and a love that is powerful enough that it is indeed the reflection of God himself when we love correctly. And so we're going to dip into what John is saying, because he's already said, he's given assurance to those. He's, he's dealing with uh, believers who are struggling with those who left the church, who say that Jesus wasn't really God, or he really wasn't man, or all kind of errant theology. He's dealing with people who are missing the ones who have, who have left, and who are upset with them on, on one side and miss them on the other and he's dealing with those who maybe are thinking, do I know really Scripture? Do, is it really something that, have I been regenerated? Have I been born again, as the Scripture says? And so he deals with those people. He's given assurance. He says, you know, if you are practicing right, if the bent of your life is to practice righteousness, th- that only comes from God. And so that, but if the bent of your life is to practice lawlessness, unrighteousness, then you're not a follower of Christ. Or if you go to Christ for confession and, and, and for, for forgiveness, a believer does that. Someone who is not a believer doesn't do that. And so he's given us assurances through that. And so we come down to verse 7 in chapter 4, after having seen um, verse 6 saying we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is from not God does not listen to us. He's talking about himself as, as, the, the, as, a, as an apostle. Disciple, by this we know the spirit of truth and error. And then he says, Beloved, let us love one another. And what John's going to do is set up a proposition for us, understanding. And I want to put it this way for us to understand. Since, since God loves you, and we're, let's stipulate a follower of Christ. Since God loves you, what? You must love each other. Very simple. Since God loves you, you must love each other. So you say, well, how, how, how do you see this? Well, I'm glad you asked, and I'm glad you came, because here we're going to go. Um, verse 7, beloved, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Number one, love each other. Why? Because it is evidence that you belong to God. 
love one another because it evidences that you belong to God. We'll stipulate that he's talking to believers. He's, we also know from the context that he's talking about the each other, the one another, are other believers. Oh no. So look at this, verse 7. This idea of love. What type of love is he talking about? Well, it's the one we've talked about before. Um, and if, well, he uses this word often. Love is for another person and their good, especially characterized by a willingness, a willingness uh, to give up one's rights and privileges on behalf or for another. This is the type of love. Uh, you'll see the verb form is agapaho. So you'll see that here. Um, this is the love he's talking about. And so he says in here, love one another because love is from God. Verse 7 again. Love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God. To have this supernatural love for each other, because sometimes it's hard to love each other because we are human and frail, and sometimes we ourselves are unlovely and don't love. But he says, the one who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Look at this, verse 8. Look at the contrast. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You see, well, Stacey, that's pretty stark. Can he say that? Well, yes, John's writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He can say that, and we have to, to understand it. Are you saying that if I don't, my love is not ongoing for the brethren, then I'm not of God? Yes, that's what John's saying. He's saying if you don't have a, a love that is supernatural from God to love each other in the body of Christ, whether they are like you or not like you, whether they believe exactly the same you do, but, but the, whether they believe um, that you, uh, well, in, in his time, whether you are a Jew or a Greek, whether you follow um, every feast day, Paul wrote about this, or you didn't follow every feast day, do you love them? Do you love one another? If you don't, if you don't have that love, you're not one of God's. Because God is love. Now think about this conceptually, about God being love. That His love is such that when it interacts with a believer, we place our faith and trust in the grace of Christ to believe it. It changes us. It rubs off on us. It changes us. So God is the source of love. God is the source of love. So let's, let's kind of break it down here. If God is love, He is the source of love, which tells me it is not for me to work up love. Mm, I'm going to try harder today. No, I need to go back to the source. I need to be obedient, yes, but I need to go to the source because the source isn't from me and my heart because it ain't so good. But secondly, if it's a source of love, then I will, if God is a source of love, I will evidence God's love. If I'm a believer, if you are a follower of Christ, you will evidence God's love. And if you look at, use it like it's on the slide as a verb, evidence. God's love. Now I wonder, as we live and move among people in the body, in the church, both within our four walls that come up and down, but within our four walls and in Christendom at large, where do we find ourselves loving other people? 
Do we find ourselves with love? Well, maybe they don't agree with everything I, I do, or maybe they don't see things eye to eye. Well, there are fundamentals upon which we, we have to agree. The deity of Christ. The salvation is by grace through faith alone and not of our works. The Godhead, the Trinity. But whether, the example I used earlier, whether we keep every feast day, whether we do things like, do we have love? See, you and I within the body of Christ can hold very firmly to the standards that we set for ourselves and the preferences we have for ourselves and still love another believer that may not be exactly as we do it. And we may choose to worship with a group of people who is familiar to us and do, but we have to be very careful and charitable. I'll tell you why, and one reason besides this, but as I come in contact with people in the world who do not know Jesus, who think all Christians alike, they get very turned off when believers who are believers, I'm not talking apostasy, believers are attacking each other. It's kind of like, uh, you've heard the term inside baseball. You know, it's like, uh, sometimes I'll say, and I'm not a, a huge big baseball fan but since the Atlanta Braves haven't won in <clears throat> years. Um, you, know, you see, you can score at home. You ever done that? You have the charge, you, you score the, the, you know, the pitches, you know, ball strike, ball strike, strike, strike. Um, no hits, no hits, no hits. Oh, that was the Atlanta Braves. Anyway, um, I know. I love them, but it's Greg and John and all those guys who are gone, you know. You know the great pictures, pictures of the day. But sometimes we get down in the weeds, and yes, we may need to speak to a brother, but it is not public forum for all the world to see. You love the brethren, and that is evidence of God's love. And I wonder today, do you evidence God's love. Would there be enough proof that you are a follower of Christ by how you love? That's a sobering thought. And here in the context of the church, what about the context of the family? I've told this before, but um, there's a book by Roy Hessian, um, and obviously, it's not in my notes because I blanked on the name. Um, it's a little small book. Anyway, he tells a story. Uh, he br- brings in, I've told this before, so you, you just bear with me if you've heard it. He brings in uh, a series of pastors from Africa. He, uh, when Roy's alive, he lived in England. He was a pastor in England. And he brings in a, series, a group of pastors because they've been having just a wonderful revival in Africa. So he brings them there to preach revival services for himself. And um, as he's doing so, he's taking them around different places in the car. And during the week, he uh, has them in the car. He stops by his house. And um, he, his wife meets him at the front step. The men, pastors, stay in the car. He talks with his wife. He gets back in, and they leave. And it was kind of quiet, and it hadn't been quiet in the car. It was kind of quiet. And so um, finally one of the men spoke to him and said, Brother Roy, um, was that woman your wife that you spoke with at the house? He goes, yes, that, that was my wife. So, 
another long pause. Well, we didn't hear what was said, but we wondered from just the body language and didn't use his words, but the, the actions that you, that you portrayed on the porch. You didn't seem very loving. And he said right there, the Lord just, like a knife into the heart of conviction, he realized the men went on to, to deal with him and how he treated his wife and family, and those in the church, he said, I quickly came to realize that the hindrance to revival in our church was not our church, it was me. When we exhibit the love of God, God works in our body, church body. He works in our hearts. But when we are in relationships, when we damage relationships, and we do not ask for forgiveness, and we do not go... um, God is not seen in us. Well, John continues. And as he continues, he, I want to bring the second point that he has. Love one another because God loves you. And so as John writes, he spirals around a subject. He hits it from all corners. And he comes back to the centrality of love with the example of God and God's love. So, very easily. Uh, verse 9, by this, the love of God was manifested in us, was revealed, was laid out before us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Can you hear the echo of what Jesus said in the, as John writes in the gospel here now? As, as John is again remembering the, remembering the words of Jesus. And so God revealed the love, and he revealed the love in Jesus. And he loves in such a way, he continues in verse 10, in this is love. He's going to show what is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his, only, or his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Propitiation of our sin. In this is love. So, God love. A couple things in these two verses here. God love what? He loved sacrificially. Look at verse 9. It was a manifest that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. Think about this. The world was in rebellion against God. We are, as it were, shaking our fists and God, I will go my own way, we said. And we continue to say, even now. We will go our own way. Don't you tell me what to do. And in the face of that rebellion, God, before the foundation of the world, had ordered that His Son would come and to lay down His life sacrificially, to be that atoning sacrifice, the idea of propitiation that satisfied, the atoning sacrifice that would satisfy the wrath of God. Because God is angry against sin. That atoning sacrifice came Jesus came sacrificially. God sacrificed His own Son. But notice this. He did so first. He didn't say, okay, come meet me halfway. You come halfway, you do a good few things, and then, then I will, I'll send my Son. Okay, you got to give me, give me a good faith, you know, give me some earnest money. You ever bought a house? Give me some earnest money, and then, you know, then we'll go through with that God loved first. He loved us. 
John's saying is the highest ideal of love has already been expressed in the form of God sending his son. We often don't love very well because we don't have a firm grasp on the love of God. Maybe it is that we've discounted his love and his sacrifice. See, unlike any other religion of the world, every other religion will say, come and do something for me, the God with a little g. Come do something for me. Work hard. Do this. Sacrifice this. And God said, I will sacrifice for you. Jesus sacrificed himself. See, that alone separates Christianity, the true gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It separates that from any other thing on earth. What other God sacrificed himself for us? And when he did so, he sacrificed and God raised him from the dead. I knew a living God for us by the power of the resurrection to have a new and living life through him. Sacrificially first, God loved. And so that is our example. That is our example. And so in our understanding, we love each other. We love each other simply as a reflection or a reflex action of that God loves us. God loved me. God loved you. And so we love. We love sacrificially. And we don't wait to somebody else to, okay, show me some love and then I will give to you. True love gives first. But but John's not done. He is not done. He says next, love each other because you are the reflection of God's love in the world. Follow me here on this. Beloved, verse 11 if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And this is really the central statement. And this is obviously the proposition statement for our sermon here. This is the big idea. And this comes directly from verse 11. If God loved us, we ought also to love each other. So we've got that. We have that understanding. Let's move to verse 12 because this has a little complexity. here. No one has seen God at any time. And you scratch your head and you say, well, why all of a sudden did he say about the invisibility of God. But if you track John, he speaks of this often, this idea of the invisibility of God. As we focus on God's love, we see that God, no one at any time has seen God. The idea of seen here, this word is to gaze uh, in an astonished way or gaze for a length of time. Um, um, not a brief glance, but a long look. And our word from theater comes from the root of this word. But the tense carries the idea that one looked at God and the effect lingers on. The past looking continues to have an effect on the present. No one has ever seen God in this way. That is a human. Now Jesus said, I and my Father are one. The communion there with them. And so... So this idea, so why does John bring up this concept of seeing God and the fact that no human has looked on the face of God the Father? Well, John 1.18, in the Gospel of John, he says, No one has seen God at any time, only the begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained to him. John 5.37, 38, Jesus answering the Jews who were seeking to kill him. 
And so he, this doesn't help smooth things over because he says, and the Father who sent me has testified of me. They're already seeking to kill him. And so he says, the Father's talked about me. You have neither heard his voice at any time or seen his form. You do not have, have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe in him who he sent, speaking of himself. And so we have this idea of the invisibility of God that Christ, yes, is the representation in human form with us. But he brings this there. No one has seen God at any time. But then he says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So is he just putting that sentence there, that phrase, no one's seen God at any time, just to kind of set it there and then move on? I don't think that's his purpose. I think he explains it as he moves through the rest. So the confirmation here, if we love one another, God abides, verse 12. If we love one another, God abides. He dwells in us. He's taken up residence in us. Not only that, his love is perfected or being completed in us. So you have this idea, this conditional statement, if we love one another, if indeed we're loving one another, his love is perfected and completed. You say, wait a second. So what, what is he saying? God loved, God saved, God's abide. His love is now producing the state of abiding and loving in each of us and toward, toward each other. I believe what John is saying, the inference here is that others see God in us. Do they see the actual physical representation of God? No. But do they see, or should they see, the love of God reflected in us? Now that, that kind of, kind of will sting. My responses, my actions, my love shows someone else who God is. So I wonder if by my love they have the idea that my God is gracious and compassionate, merciful, or that my God is harsh and always angry and has never provided any way of escape. What does my love say about God? He continues to kind of nail home the point there. By this we know, we know, remember this is the gnosko, the knowing and understanding through experience coming about, that we abide in Him and He in us. Okay, so we have a knowledge. The love of God is a, is a, a proof, an evidence. But the second one is that we have the Holy Spirit in us. He has given us His Spirit. Ephesians 1 talks about the seal, the stamp. You pour the wax on, you don't do it anymore. Actually, I saw a kit the other day. I thought this would be really cool if I had $40 and didn't want to do anything else with it. To pour out the wax, you know, heat it up, and then put my stamp, you know, a royal P for peak. No, it wouldn't be very cool. You'd look at me kind of funny. But this is the idea of what Ephesians said. Paul is saying this, the, the Holy Spirit is a stamp, a seal that God is in us. We have Him in us, we are God's. We belong to Him. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, we know that we have seen and testified, as John says, we have seen you, but mainly he's saying we as, as the apostles and disciples have seen and testified that the Lord, that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So we have this, this train of thought. 
No man has seen God at any time. However, the love of God abides in you. That we know that we are God's. That we reflect that we are to love one another. By this we know. That we love one another. By this we know. That we are God's. And I wonder if people see the lingering and powerful and miraculous work of the love of God in us. What do people see when they see you? When they come in contact with you? Selfishness? Pride? Seeking to get my own way? What do they see? Christ. Do they see the confirmation of the Spirit working in your heart and life to produce the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the gentleness, the kindness that Galatians 5.22 speaks of, the Apostle Paul writes of? Is the confirmation there? John says, I have a white eyewitness. I've seen God. He said this already in in the epistle. I have seen this one. And I've testified now of this one, Jesus, who has come to be the Savior, the one who rescues the world. And now, indeed, if you have been rescued, if Jesus has done a work in your heart and forgiven you of your sin and cleansed you, made you white as snow, there's going to be a change in you and it's going to be the love of God for each other. It's going to be a love that overflows in the heart and life. It's going to be directed and guiding by the Holy Spirit of God. And it's going to be something that is palpable when people come in contact with you. They will experience a love of God in you to them. If indeed you are Christ's. And if indeed you are walking. Because here, he's speaking to believers. And he's giving exhortation. Because he knows, in their time, just in our time, that we struggle with love. And so why why else would he say, it is the evidence of God's work in you. We love because God first loved us. Gave himself to be that atoning sacrifice for us. Why do we love? Because of Christ's love. Because of God the Father's love. And it is nothing else but a a reflexive action because of the gratitude to love one another. As we are guided by the Spirit, that love comes through. Poet says, love ever gives, forgives, outlives, and ever stands with open hands while it lives. It gives for for it is love's prerogative to give and to give, and to give. Twenty-eight times John uses this verb, to love, in the epistle. And John is, John is tying here the theology of salvation, of soteriology, is tying that together with the, the results of that is love. If there isn't love, then first base didn't happen. Continuing our baseball. You did not get a hit. You did not. If, if you don't love, there's a good, strong possibility that you don't know Christ. Or that, as he's already said, we are in sin. 
And so 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is for the believer. And so the, the, um, the, hard, the hard work in our heart from Scripture is that we examine ourselves and say, do we love sacrificially? Do we love first? Do we love because in reflexive action of that gratitude for what God has done for us? John hammers home the love of God. Our love for each other is evidenced is evidence that we are God's children. So believer, it may be time today that you free your soul, your heart from anger, from resentment, from hurt, and love that particular person or persons with the love of God. See, Stacey, I can't do that. If you're God's child, he will strengthen you to do that. You take that step. You confess. You reach out in love. Sometimes there's a lot of hurt that goes unspoken. Sometimes you don't know if what we've said or or done has, has affected someone. The love of God calls for us to give, to go, to love. So believer, maybe it is time to deal with that. If you're here without Christ, and maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want to tell you that around you are sitting those who were, who were once just like you, who maybe doubted, who maybe saw a lot of hypocrisy in the world, but at one point... By God's drawing them, they saw the beauty of Jesus and the love of Christ. It was so wonderful that Christ would love a wretch like me, as the hymn writer says. And our prayer for you today is that you would know our Jesus and know his love. To know Jesus, to to whom, as the writer says, to know aright is life eternal is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to guide, to care, to teach, to instruct. Yes, to convict when we don't love and other things, but to live for Him to help us live in such a way that glorifies our God. So the invitation to you is that, to experience the love of Christ. See, there is joy in knowing. And that joy in knowing is to know the love of Christ. And the joy in knowing God's love is a joy in loving others. To give. To forgive. To embrace. Because that's how our God has shown us His love. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, by Your power, Your might, we are here, Your word, powerful, strong, has convicted me this week. And so we stand bare before it, 
taking off any blinders of pride or self that would stay in the way of keeping us from dealing with our hearts. Oh God, I pray for the one who does not know Jesus that he would see the beauty and the glory of our great Savior. That he would see the love that reflected from believers. Yes, even imperfectly, he or she would see that love and say that is a love that is not through an individual, but is through the work of grace of God in hearts. We pray that you draw that heart yourself. Oh God, would you do a work in believers today? Lord, may we confess, get right. Father, may we, may we, may we run to you, may we run to each other. Those that we have wronged, those we have not loved, may we seek forgiveness. May we forgive with open hands, not closed arms. May the love of God so, so work our hearts. Lord, for families, for friends that were once friends, for those in our church, those outside of our church, may the community of Christ be such that shows love. And may Greenville see your love through us. May they know Jesus. So, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would do a work in hearts, a work that I cannot do. My words will fall away. They will not be remembered, but your word, I pray, will continue to make that impact in our life. And that by your Spirit we respond. Of course, in Christ's name I pray. Amen.